This is 8-Bit, episode 22. Usually, I'm the victim. On Wednesday, February 6th, 2013. And now, the indie game that saved a console. This episode is hosted by Ian Buck with guest Samuel Roth. So, Sam, what have you been playing recently? Oh, you know, recently my parents got me a 3DS XL, so naturally my poor Wii U has been completely neglected. Oh, it must be so sad. Right, here for it. It's little brothers getting all my attention. I've been playing two games lately. One of them is lightweight, easy to play, and short verse, and the other one isn't. What about you, Ian? Have you been up to any games lately at all? Well, interesting you should ask, because I've been also playing a few games that are lightweight and uh, easy to pick up and put down really quickly on my tablet, and uh, I was playing a very, very heavy game uh, on on my desktop, obviously. Um that I just finished up yesterday. Coincidence! Whoa! <laughs> it's like <laughs> we're twins. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, what should we talk about first? The light ones or the heavy ones? Uh, let's go with light because if they're easy to pick up and put down quickly, they should be easy to talk about quickly, right? Ah, well, we'll find out, won't we? Um, I've been playing Paper Mario Sticker Star on the 3DS. Now, Paper Mario has always been one of my favorite Nintendo franchises. It's had four games so far, and this one is different than the others in its play style. It's not based on RPG mechanics so much as something. Basically, stickers are everything. You find stickers, you pick them up, use them in combat, use them to defend yourself. So kind of like uh, Super Smash Bros., except for the stickers actually do things for you? Yes, the stickers are actually important. And um, it's... Different. It's probably the worst Paper Mario game, but I love it and I would recommend it to anybody. Well, sounds like uh, you really like that franchise a lot. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> it's, it's probably about, an, this one's about an 8 out of 10 or 7.5 out of 10, I guess I would say. I'm not done with it yet, though, so I don't know quite how long it is or if it's got any replay value. Right. Now, what about you, Ian? What game have you been playing that's lightweight? Well, uh, last week I finished with uh, Sword and Sorcery EP. And uh, we'll be, I'll be reviewing that later on when we get to the, the main section of the podcast. And uh, the other lightweight game that I've picked up is uh, Super Hexagon, uh, which is very, very lightweight. Like, you know, you, you just kind of play. Uh, the, the game is basically you, you are rotating this little, this little icon around, and you're trying to avoid these lines as they come in towards the middle of the screen. And uh, you only, like, the, the longest that I have lasted in that game so far is 32 seconds or something. Oh, jeez. Yeah. So it is a very challenging game, and that's how long, you know, the rounds last. And, and it's, it's, like, it's just, re- it's just repeating, repeating, you know, trying to beat your best score over and over and over again. Okay. That sounds interesting. It's... Feels kind of like an old school game in that it's yeah just trying to beat your score stuff like that That's and cool. and and the visuals the visuals are very old school too I mean it's just if you, if you you know just do a quick Google image search you could have of Super Hexagon you'll see it's just you know similar colored shapes and you know lighter lines that are that are coming in towards the screen oh and yeah it's, I see yeah. Um, would you recommend either or both of those games to most people? Well, yes, I would very much recommend them. Yeah. But, I'll, you know, I'll get to the why later on. Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, sure, sure. Um, now, as for the heavier game I've been playing, some people out there may want to kill me for this. It's the first time I've ever played it. The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time on the 3DS. 
Um, I guess I was just too young to appreciate Zelda back when it first came out. And yeah, being that uh, we were born in 92. Yeah, and this came out, I think, around 99 or so. And yeah, it's been quite an experience. I see what all the hype was about. Um, the visuals are very good compared to the original, which I didn't watch my brother play. It makes good use of the 3D. It makes fantastic use of the touchscreen for inventory management. And of course, the level design is great. The writing is very solid. The game is very well-paced. The puzzles are challenging, but solvable. It, I can definitely see why everyone likes it. Now that one I'm not even close to done with yet, so I'll have more to say on that maybe in the future when I've finished it. I'm hoping to compare it with other Zelda games uh, as I get them. I, this one's actually getting me into the series for the first time. Now, what about you, Ian? You were playing something hard also? Um, yeah, the other game that I've been playing is uh, Crisis, and uh, that's a relatively older game, um, but, you know, still beautiful and still, you know, a, a big military shooter that, uh, you know, is, is very story-driven and everything. Um, I just finished that yesterday, so I'll be, I'll be po- writing a review of it and posting it sometime within the next few days, and I'll be actually reviewing it on the show this next weekend. Okay, now just to get a little preview, some people have uh, told me that the gameplay is bad, but the visuals are good. How do you feel about that? Um, I f- well, the visuals are definitely very, very good, especially considering that this game t- came out in you know 2007, so five and a half years ago. Okay. Um, the gameplay, I you know, the, I felt that the cr- the controls were really, really good. Um, the AI of the enemies was a little, you know, pretty sloppy, but that was you know actually kind of part of the fun was tricking yeah, yeah. them into doing stupid things and then just shooting them. Um, the story, I wasn't really expecting much from the story, and it, but it wasn't as bad as I was expecting. So that was okay. that was actually kind of a relief. That's good. And would you recommend Crisis then to fans of the genre? First oh yeah, shooters? especially since um, if you if you buy Crisis Three right now, um, if you pre-order it uh, through Origin, you get Crisis One for free. And if you like pre-order the digital deluxe edition, which is an extra twenty dollars, you get among a bunch of other stuff. You also get Crisis Two as well as Crisis One. Oh well, that, that's actually a really good value. That's not yeah. even like a I don't know what you call it, like you make a scam or something. It's no, yeah, very, that sounds like a really good value. Yeah, it's it's like yeah, twenty dollars more than the regular, and you get you know these these two games that came before it that still look beautiful on their own and, you know, stand great on their own. And then, I don't know, I think you get, like, a bunch of multiplayer, um, you know, items and stupid stuff like that. And oh, of course. That, I, that's the stuff that would have been a scam. Yeah. <laughs> but thrown into the bundle, that's, that's mm-hmm. not bad. Of course, I, I, I'm not going to be getting the digital deluxe because I already have both of the original two. Oh, uh, yep, yep. Also, that doesn't really help you. <laughs> also, I discovered... Uh, like yesterday that I only have $20 left in my checking account, so I really can't buy anything at the moment. <laughs> oh, gosh. You blew all that summer money already. Well, no, okay. I blew all of my summer money during fall semester building my desktop. So, okay, yeah. that's fair. And, uh, like, I just got an email, like, right before we started the show from the university saying, oh, yeah, your, your tuition for this, uh, this semester is in. You owe us 660-some dollars. And I'm like, right. Yeah, I'll have to find that money somewhere. Yeah, that's, uh, I think I could actually loan that to you for the money I got back for going to school this semester. 
Yeah, I think I would have just about enough that I could do that for you. Well, I don't. I mean, I have I have that much in my like savings account, but I don't have access to that here. I I have to like drive somewhere else to go to Ridiculous. a bank. Yeah. Now, Sam, is this the first time that you've actually been on eight bit? Um, I think I did two specials. Was it on eight bit or was it a special show with you? Yeah, I, yeah I think that one was the Nexus special when uh when the when the Nexus. Uh, 10 and the Nexus uh, 4 were, were first announced. Yep, I remember sharing my thoughts on that. Have I been with you another time? Or I, I don't... Believe f- I was, uh, because I spoke with the other Ian on the show one time. When you were here? I don't remember. I know Do you, you came okay, here did, and we enjoyed we, the Wii U together. Did we grill you on your history, you know, in video gaming? Um... I don't know. You could do it again if you wanted to, but... Alright, yeah, we'll do it again. So, Sam... Yes, uh, sir. Tell us a little bit about yourself, um, you know, your life specifically, uh, you know, what, what games you played when you were a kid, how you first got into gaming, that kind of thing. All right. Um, my name is Samuel Lincoln Roth, and I was born in 1992. I have an older brother, his name is Kyle, and he's five and a half years older than me. And from little on up, he loved to play games. It started with my parents, who were well alive when Pawn came out, and when that first came out, they had it and played it with their friends until about... They opened it around 8 for a birthday or something, and they played it until 5 a.m. They were all just stunned with Pong. So since then, they got my brother an NES, and I played games with him. Bubble Bobble is an old game that I don't know if anyone's ever heard of that I played. And I remember when I was 3, I adored the original Kirby's Adventure. Uh, Since then, I was mostly a trained Nintendo boy, but I did have good memories with the Sega Genesis as well. Um, And now that I've gotten older, I've started to branch out a little bit. I own a PlayStation 3 and a Wii. And I play on my PC as well. And that's been recommended to me more and more by a certain someone who I'm talking to who shall remain anonymous. I have no idea who you could be talking about. <laughs> um, my favorite general games are... Well, I like strategy RPGs. I like JRPGs, the Japanese style. I also really like like Rome Total Wars, one of my top games. And I'm just a huge nerd, so I love Batman and Arkham City. Um, I also am a huge sucker for the Mario games, particularly the 2D Mario games are my favorite, but I'm a fan for all of them. So I kind of, I also play a pretty mean game of Call of Duty. I'm not amazing, but I'm competitive with the usual slobs. So uh, I'm I'm not a video game renaissance man per se, but I try. I try to play. It's it's pretty diverse, so a lot more diverse yeah. than some people. Mm-hmm. Uh, currently, I own a Wii U, a 3DS, and a PC with... I don't know, I, they're decent gaming specs. It's like a middle, higher middle range. It's not, I think it could run Crisis 3. I'm pretty sure that I look at the specs and mine could survive that. Although the computer itself would combust. Yeah. Um, Especially and, since it's a laptop, so. Yeah, I guess that's got to be mentioned. That yeah. It's a laptop. So for a laptop, it's probably really strong. But, oh, yeah. Um, I mean, it's not exactly an Alienware, but no, there you no. go. Yeah. Um, in the future, the systems I hope to acquire is I may consider buying a PlayStation 3 again when it gets cheaper. And I'm also interested in, my dad has a desktop that he used for work that he no longer needs. He's got a job, and it's pretty beefy already, and he'd sell it to me at a pretty reasonable price. So I'm considering buying that and having my friend, who shall remain nameless, who will help me um, with computers, help me to rig that thing up to be a pretty decent system. So that's Once again, of, no idea who you're talking about. Yeah, and uh, this year's a big year for me because Nintendo has a lot of software that I'll talk about later rolling out for both the 3DS and the Wii U. And there's a lot of good computer games out there that I'm looking forward to. Like, hopefully, Rome uh, Total War 2 is coming out this year. I believe it's slightly for this year. 
So this is a good year for me to be a gamer, and I've really picked up the hobby more in 2012 than this year than I had before. I had a bit of a dry spell around 2005 to 2010. So uh, while, while you were talking, Ryan reminded me that uh, the, the episode that you were on on 8-Bit was number 13 back when I came over to your house, of course, and we were playing <laughs> around on your Wii U, and that was, you know, our little initial okay. review of the Wii U and its capabilities and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Well, so, we have some more information about the Wii U and a wide range of things, from software to capabilities to Nintendo's uh, plans with it for the future. Mm-hmm. So this is almost a part two to that. Yeah. Um, so let's uh, let's move into the, the week's headlines, shall we? Sure, sure. All right, so there's a new indie game that's coming out uh, that combines the awkward humor of Quop with the breath-holding stress of Surgery. Surgeon Simulator 2013 is a game that uh, was introduced for the Global Game Jam 2013 and has the player do a heart surgery where uh, you're controlling everything from the individual fingers to the rotation of the wrists. Uh, I tried it out. It's it's available for free on Congregate. And, uh, yeah, I would describe it as as a, a combination of Quop and um, uh, the game Operation, you know, the board game. Yeah, yeah. So um, you you take you take your your left hand and you put that on you know the A W E R and space bars and those buttons uh, control the corresponding fingers on the surgeon and then okay. you you use the mouse to you know move the hand around and then left click you know lowers the uh, hand and right click if you hold right click and you move the mouse it rotates his wrist and uh, yeah basically it's just uh, a a, a matter of time before you kill your patient. Oh, of course. That sounds very interesting. Um, it, I don't believe that I personally have heard of playing a game exactly that way before. Uh, so yeah, that, that's cool. It's a new way to play. and I'm a <laughs> fan. I'm always a fan of those. Um, what would you say? Would, uh, do you think it'll catch on? Do you think it's got a chance of pe- appealing to a wide audience? Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of a, a joke game anyway. Um, sure. You know, so people people are going to, you know, play it for like 15 minutes, tell their friends about it, and probably not really pick it up again because, I mean, there's there's nothing no to, to the do. game. Like, yeah. I mean, I guess you could go with the challenge of try to keep your patient alive for as long as possible or even, you know, see how fast I can kill him. Oh, sure. I've, I don't think that it's really possible to successfully transplant the heart. Which is, <laughs> which is ostensibly what the surgeon is trying to do, but sure, you know, I understand. They're a terrible surgeon, anyway. Of course, well, yeah, sounds like an interesting one. Probably won't go down the history books, but okay. <laughs> well, in other news, Sony is attempting to help PlayStation Vita survive. Uh, right now, they're going with a reward for getting your friends to register a Vita. Um, each of you gets a twenty-dollar PSN card and a thousand Sony reward points. So the friend you refer gets uh, the card as well. And the person who um, gets the friends to buy the most Vitas will win uh, 1 million Sony reward points, which is worth $10,000. Now, uh, I know that some people have looked at tricks with this, like you can apparently register yourself or something. I, I don't know. Yeah, but if, you, if you're going to register yourself, you have to buy yourself another PlayStation Vita, which doesn't oh, seem worth a $20 no. Sony Rewards card. Now, I, I'm no expert on the Vita, but I know I can tell a little bit to people about why it's ailing. Um, it has currently, I, I do not believe, broken 4 million units sold. Um, 
by June, I think, it sold 2.2 million, and it has had very poor sales since then around the world, in particular in Japan, which buys the most handhelds. Um, it hasn't had a lot of exclusive software that's been critically well-reviewed lately. Mm -hmm. um, in general, even it's had very few. An upcoming game called Killzone Mercenary looks to be one that people are hoping will be a good game and sell well. Um, I don't think a single game for the Vita has sold a million units, which... That's pretty bad. Yeah, that's kind of pathetic. Yeah. Um, it, again, it's been around for over a year. It launched in Japan. I believe it was... Um, I can't remember if it was in t late, late 2011 or in early 2012. I believe it was late 2011 that it launched in Japan. And um, to give you an idea, I believe the 3DS outsold in one month what the Vita has sold in its lifetime at this time. Yeah, I don't think, I don't think Sony's going to be able to pull this one out um, of the mud. Well, the problems with the Vita right now are... Again, the lack of software has very much hurt it. It doesn't just like high-quality software. It likes much software at all, mm -hmm. um, particularly exclusives. Like, for example, one of the latest good games to come out for it was uh, Sly Cooper 4, but that's on the PlayStation 3. Yeah. So while remote play might appeal to some people, I do not personally believe it will be enough to sell many units. Um, the Vita costs $250 for the cheapest unit, which you can buy a nice tablet for that. A little bit more gets you a very nice tablet. I'm thinking yeah. Kindle Fire HD 8.9. Um, less money gets you a 3DS XL, and even less gets you a regular 3DS. Combined with the fact that these systems need memory cards in order to function at all. And the cheapest memory card is 4 gigabytes for 20 or $30. And the most expensive is a 32 for $100. The Vita <laughs> is very expensive in that way. Also, I've heard some problems that I do not think are major, and I think they're limited, that the uh, OLED screen occasionally it gets splotches on it or it looks worse after even just one year of use because that kind of technology does. I don't know if that's been a major issue, though, but I do know if that's something existed. Now, so, um, you did uh, mention uh, you know, other, other mobile systems like tablets that you can use for gaming, and uh, there are a couple of new ones that are coming out soon, um, you know, the, the new iPad with uh, like 128 gigs of storage space. Oh, yeah. how, how much does that thing cost again? That iPad, um, the Wi-Fi is what most people would get. We could compare yeah. the ones with cell service, but most people would want the Wi-Fi. That's $800 for the most expensive with 128 gigabytes. It's $500 for an iPad with 16 gigabytes that's new. Um, if I'm going to tell you, I don't think the 128 will sell terribly well, but I don't think Apple really wants it to. I think they're just trying to get that niche. Yeah, that's who, that's for crazy people who want to install tons and tons and tons of apps and for, you know, enterprises well, that I think they, need lots of yeah, storage space. Enterprises. I also think that people like HD movies. Could you imagine mm. if a family, say, they've got an old computer from anywhere from 2007 or before that's slow, and maybe they don't even have a laptop between them, but they have one iPad for the family that they're thinking about getting for the whole family. It would be great for a three-day, four-day car trip. You could get a lot of movies on there, and you could get everyone's music. So you yeah. could spend the gigs to get everyone's music, you could get a couple of apps, and you could fit a dozen movies on there. So I think it will have some appeal. I just hope Apple doesn't print too many of them. Now, speaking of uh, storage space, have you heard about the uh, the Surface Pro? Um, I know a little bit about it, but I don't know much. I've, I've been out of that so the, for a while. The Surface Pro is the version of Microsoft's Surface tablet that is running, you know, the full Windows on an actual, you know, Intel chipset and everything. So and it's actually useful. It's, well... Uh, <laughs> it, it should actually be useful. <laughs> it should, but the thing is, the... Um, like the 64 gig version of the oh, uh, right. of the of the tablet only has 23 gigs of usable space which is less space 
then my next is seven. Um, to put out there again, uh, yeah, the next is seven would be an example. Another one, the iPad 32 gigabytes, I believe has about 29 gigabytes. About. Yeah, that's that's about how much my 32 gig Nexus yeah. 7 has. I know that's what my iPod 4 has available for use. So, um, and what's the 64 gigabyte cost for the Surface Pro? Um, I don't remember exactly. Let's see if I can find yeah. that really quick. But Windows it's Surface Pro, right? Um, yeah, I one of the versions at least costs, uh, I think, like a thousand dollars. Oh, that's um, insane. Um. Uh, that maybe that might be the 128 version that costs a thousand. On the website here, good old um, PC Mag. Thank you guys for PC mm-hmm. Mag for helping us here. Uh, we do not just steal information here at the Nexus. We do everything we can to make sure that we consistently credit the people who do it. We're in college. We're talking about plagiarism. And we link to them. Yes. In the show notes. Um, it says here that the top of the line 128 gigabyte Surface Pro uh, costs almost a thousand dollars. Yeah. And the funny thing is, like, you know, they, they they made such a big deal about you know the uh, the the keyboard and everything that comes with it, and the keyboard doesn't isn't included in that price. It's another like one hundred and twenty dollars or whatever to get the keyboard. Oh jeez, um, I don't know. I feel like the Windows tablet was supposed to be something interesting and new. And I don't think I'm it's gonna, worth it. I'm not going to bash it because I haven't used one, but I've seen many issues with it in terms of pricing like that and memory, so maybe it'll be its own PlayStation Vita. The two have many new and unique features to offer, but they're held down by price and a few other problems. So, uh, moving on to the next um, news article. Wow, we talked about that for a really long time. Um, so, have you ever... Uh, you haven't played EVE Online, but I you, you've heard of it, right? Um, I have heard of it. I do not know much about it. Okay, so EVE Online is an, an MMO on the PC, and it's it's you know in space, and you you have your spaceship and you fly around, and it's focused much less on on you know combat like most games are. It's but it's focused on more the the economy of the game. You know, you're tr- you're trying to make money um, and make big alliances, big corporations of of tons and tons of players, and uh, they recently had a massive 2,800-player <laughs> oh battle take place. Um, can, can I ask, quick, all real people, right? All yeah, these are all real people, um, <laughs> and it's become known as the uh, the Battle of Asakai. So I, I don't really understand exactly what the in-game politics are, but uh, basically there's two alliances, the Clusterfuck Coalition and the Honey Badger Co- <laughs> Coalition, and they don't, I, they don't really get along or anything. Um, and suddenly, suddenly, one guy from the Clusterfuck Coalition who is in a Titan, which is like the biggest ship in the, in the game, okay. he, he accidentally, he misclicks, he accidentally warps into uh, the middle of a fleet of honey badgers, and they immediately start attacking him because his ship is so valuable and they want his ship. And okay, so he so- starts calling in reinforcements, and they start calling in reinforcements. And, like, so keep in mind, like, typically a Titan takes, like, 900 people to take down. Okay, wow. Um, yeah. Now, can, can you explain how many people does it take to play as a Titan? Can one person control one by himself? I I assume so. I think okay. that you know it's it's you are you pilot your ship and that's it. Like okay, uh, p- please continue. 
Um, so yeah, both sides just kept pulling in more, re- more, more reinforcements, and the battle kept escalating until you know you've got the the 2,800 people there, and uh, in the end, the honey badgers were victorious because it, it was actually a pretty one-sided battle. It sounds like because um, the honey badgers lost six dreadnoughts, eleven carriers, and one super carrier, while the clusterfucks lost. 44 Dreadnoughts, 29 Carriers, 5 oh Super God. Carriers, and 3 Titans. Like, oh God. that's just ridiculous. Now, um, if, well, read the rest of the article, then I have a few questions. Um, yeah, and then, and then the initial estimates of how much um, damage had been done is at, like, 700 billion uh, of their in-game currency. And I don't really know what the you know yeah, what the scale was, is there, but seven hundred billion is a big number. Yeah, I was going to say I I don't know for a game like this how much time it will take to repair the damages. Um, I don't know what they have to do to repair them. I don't know how long these people have been playing to get access to mm-hmm. all these very powerful ships. But I will say I have never heard of anything like this before. Um, I've heard of large battles on multi-mass MMOs. No one can pronounce that. But yeah, I've MMOs. Never, I've never heard of anything quite like this happening where they called in reinforcements and it was like an actual war. You have to wonder if these people are actually using tactics and intelligence or if this was just the cluster fuck up shooting at each other until they die. Well, the, the funny thing is, so I, I watched this video um, of the battle and at the yeah. beginning there's all this, you know, radio chatter and people like telling, you know, okay, like, concentrate fire on that ship. Like, let's go after him, you know. Okay. We need a nuke, nuke him, nuke him, you know. And then like more and more and more players just keep warping in and eventually everything is just silent. Like, <laughs> nobody is talking talking. Everybody's just shooting. <laughs> it's, like, it's so ridiculous. Um, uh, our condolences go out to the lives of everyone <laughs> in this battle. Um, in particular, all of the clusterfucks who died. Um, we, Ian, which side are we on? I don't oh, know. I mean, the honey Who's badger is the honey badger. Like, okay. um, the, the internet's going to side with honey badgers. Haven't okay, you seen well, that video? <laughs> Uh, let me rephrase that then. Um, to all the clusterfuck scumbags who died, we say, <laughs> this is what you infidels get for clusterfuck. Um, again, the honey badgers lost six dreadnoughts, oven carriers, and one super carrier. Um, we wish blessings on the families of all who had soldiers die. Thank you for protecting our liberties, our freedom, and our livelihood. Um, that was probably really sacrilegious of me to do that. <laughs> <laughs> who cares? It was funny. We did it for Talal's. Oh, yeah, yeah, because that's all the internet cares about. Well, maybe this will get someone to Lulz. Um Video game consoles have been banned in China since year 2000, but there has been a distinct um, black market. Um, I don't know exactly what it is, but I believe that the Xbox and Dreamcast both had some black markets. But now officials are considering ending this law. Um, if this happened... This could be huge, as I see it, for two reasons. One, whoever sells best in China is uh, on the road to selling the most this generation. I imagine a company could sell their systems best only in China and poorly everywhere else, like if the Vita going on in China, and <laughs> that would be the best-selling one of this generation. Oh, man, that's so, a huge, huge market. Oh, yeah. Also, um, I can only imagine when a Chinese manufacturer decides to make their own video game console, the first one will probably be junk. Then the second and the third might not be that great, but then some will get the ball rolling and they'll start. They won't need third parties, or they'll just have five, ten, twenty developing studios in China. So if this happens, I can imagine the world's video game market uh, just 
the shift being dramatic to China. Mm -hmm. Whatever catches on in China will be the big thing. If they do start getting developers going to make exclusive software and games for any system, this could really just flip things. So this is... Uh, this might be the biggest piece of news we actually have because this and, could just change everything. And I know that um, like pretty much all of the um, Chinese developers currently make you know free to play online games um, okay. because that's that's what's lucrative there. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they choose to enter a console market or if they choose to ignore a console market. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm very interested in how this one could develop. So Ouya had a 10-day game uh, game jam. And that has finished with uh, 166 game prototypes completed. So the finalists will be uh, announced on February 11th, and the winners will be announced a week later on February 18th. Interesting. Um, yeah. Do you have interest in Ouya for yourself, Ian? I probably won't be getting one, no. I mean, it is nice and cheap. It's only $100. Yep. But if I want to play, um, you know, Android games, I have my tablet, and... Yep. I, if I want to play, you know, games up on a TV screen, I mean, I'll just hook up my PC to it. Okay. Um, as for me, myself, um, in particular between the Wii U and the 3DS, I have a lot of games coming this year that I'm interested in, and I've got a back catalog, too, so I won't be picking one up for those reasons until at the very least 2014, and, you know, we're likely to hit your announcements at E3, so the cycle will continue. I don't see myself picking one up. My brother, however, was one of the Kickstarter members who got himself one with four controllers. So he'll be able to give us more information, his own personal insights when it comes out. Um, yeah, it's very, it's interesting. How do you think it will do, Ian? Do you think it will catch on, or do you th not know how it will do? Or Well, I think that um, a lot of people are kind of expecting it to do well because we already have a competitor for it, you know, the $79 um, game stick, mm -hmm. which is also Android-based also, you know, very, very similar to it. Yeah. Um, both of them got kickstarted very successfully. Like they went way over what their um, their goals were. So I mean, obviously, we already have people uh, who are interested in it, who are you know who want to pay money for it. Yep. And so yeah, the the Ouya is coming out in April, and I'm not sure. I think the game stick is uh, sometime soon after that, or okay. sometime around there. Yeah. Well, um, although it's it's a hard competitive market. Everyone maybe can't oh. succeed. Uh, we wish the best of luck to both the Ouya and the GameStick and anyone else who makes video game platforms. Anyone who supports the industry, we, we wish them the best of luck. Hope that they can make a profit. Quick correction. Um, uh, it's the GameStick that's April. Ouya is coming out in June. Okay. Yep. However, here's someone who maybe we're not wishing as much success on. If the <laughs> sun's going to shine on everyone, maybe not quite as bright on these guys. Um, Dead Space 3, made by EA, yes? Uh, published by EA, yeah. Published by EA, that's all I care about. Um, on the PC, will be a direct uh, port of the console versions. That means it's not made with DirectX 11 in mind, it will be made with DirectX 9. Um, the only visual improvements at all will be native 1080p and uh, 60 frames per second, depending on your rig, if you can run it that, which, yes, it will look better, but that's no huge gap. Um, Visceral's executive, I believe they're the creators of the game, yep. producer, uh, is surprised that anyone asked that. He said that uh, his goal is to experience this on every platform, and he even seemed to touch smug about the fact that you can, they're supporting mouse and keyboard. That's, uh, well, to add into this, I believe Dead Space 3 will launch with 11 pieces of day one downloadable content, um, because microtransactions are a thing, and EA wants to capitalize on them. Yep, so... This game actually released yesterday, as it turns out, oh, okay. and and uh, 
I've I watched a couple of videos of people messing around with you know the uh, the settings uh, in the game, and yep. it's not as bad as we thought. Like it actually does have uh, you know graphics options that are that are fairly comprehensive. Um, okay. Even though you know you can't really go above and beyond you know the DirectX sure. nine. Um, you know it's it's not as bad. And okay. I'm still waiting. I'm still waiting on uh, PC Gamer to actually have a real review of yeah. it. Um, I went into this game knowing it's coming out. I'm not a fan of the series, but I'm expecting was expecting him not to do well. It had a lot of negative hype against it. You mm-hmm. know, this and the DLC. People were saying they looked like they were going too much in the way of action, like some of the later Resident Evil games have been accused of. That I was concerned that this game might not do well, but. We'll see, I guess, if it sells well, if it gets good reviews, if people actually buy any of the DLC. If it gets I, believe it, I believe it has been getting pretty good reviews so far, at least on the console versions. Okay. Well, we'll see how it does on the PC also. That, that should be interesting. So, speaking of EA, um, they are taking the Medal of Honor franchise out of active rotation after uh, Warfighter got mostly bad reviews. And if you ask me, I mean, it's about time that they stop trying to revive that series. It's quite I, old, yes. Yeah, it's I mean at the at the beginning, you know, Medal of Honor was where it was at. Like that was but but then again, Medal of Honor is the reason that we have that overabundance of World War II shooters from, you know, the early 2000s. Of course. Um and if you I I don't really think that uh there were you know, games uh, Medal of Honor games that really pushed the boundaries since like European Assault. Okay. Which was quite well, a while ago. Yeah. I'm, I guess I myself am hoping that um, uh, EA will keep it out of um, uh, out of uh, the revolution mm-hmm. rotation for a little while, and maybe hand it off to another developer in four years. You know, maybe get someone else to arrive. Maybe have someone take a new look at Medal of Honor, or maybe just look at some of the old stuff that was made for Medal of Honor and see what they can do with it. Um, it's always a shame when a franchise dies, but sometimes it's got to happen. I guess the industry is a quick-moving one. Yep. So um, to anyone who reviewed the game negatively... Shame on you. You just killed the franchise. <laughs> well, here's a franchise that I don't think is going to die anytime soon. Grand Theft Auto V has been given a release date um, of September 17th. Now, that is, it was already pushed back, and this is pushed back from the pushed back date. So it's been pushed back quite a ways. At this time, the 360 and the PS3 are the only platforms that we know that they're talking about or thinking about. Um, there's been a petition, a petition excuse me, for the Wii U version that wanted to get a million signatures, and I think it got a couple hundred thousand. Um, there's also there's also a big site for uh, you know getting it onto PC. Yep, yep. Um, I you know it's hard to say what they're what Rockstar will do with that. I could see pros and cons to porting it to the Wii U, not to the Wii U, to the PC, not to the PC, to both or to neither. Mm-hmm. Um, I I would prefer if they got it available on every platform, even though I wouldn't buy it, just because I want it to be available to as many people as they as can play it. But um, agreed. Overall, yeah. Overall, we'll see. Uh, of the game is. It's got quite a bit of hype to it, but at the same time, I've heard some people say that the last good Grand Theft Auto was years ago, so... Well, well I mean, the, the last Grand Theft Auto period was years ago, so... <laughs> um, I, that was not a port, maybe, because I think there's one on both the 3DS and on the Vita. Yeah, but those are probably, yeah, re-releases of one that already existed. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, well, we'll see how this game turns out. It's got a lot of hype for it, but if it lives up to it or not, we'll see. So Sony uh, released a little video um, like last week 
that uh, has starts out with a bunch of indistinct shapes, and uh, eventually, you know, we get to see that uh, the triangle, circle, X, and square symbols that you are familiar with from the PlayStation controller, and then it flashes the date February 20th. So the consensus on the internet seems to be that Sony is planning on announcing the PS3 successor on fe- on February 20th. So you can be sure that I'll be, uh, you know, watching that oh, yeah. when that comes. Um, and people people seem to think that you know this means that they'll be coming out with the uh, P- the fourth PlayStation. Uh, by the holiday season, and they they seem to think that it's likely that Microsoft will also be coming out with the next Xbox by this holiday season as well. Um, just a little bit of speculative commentary about it. The latest rumors have the PlayStation 4 sitting noticeably above the Wii U in terms of uh, technical power. Mm-hmm. It's using the mobile version of the AMD uh, 7970, is what they say. Again, not, none of this is confirmed, but those are just the latest rumors, which would put it pretty powerful. I think there are the rumors that it might have an 8-core CPU. I know there's rumors about the 720. Um, and uh, actually, they, they went into a few details about this on uh, the last episode of At the Nexus. So if you want to hear like Brian and Matt about talk that. about that, they, they go into the technical stuff a little yeah, bit more. Um, I will also just make the note that as to launching about this holiday season, it would be very non-standard to announce your system and then release it in such a short time frame. It's possible, but it would be a bit of a surprise if they didn't. We all wait with expectant eyes to see what Sony has officially and to see if the word Vita even is mentioned once. <laughs> uh, well, in another piece of news, uh, XNA, they are a popular programmer among indie developers. Uh, XNA, okay, it's a program, sorry. I, PC is not my stuff. XNA is a program used to make the games uh, Bastion and Fez, um, for Windows and Xbox games, will not be developed any further by Microsoft. It's a pretty old piece of software, and Microsoft is working on making DirectX the unified graphics foundation for all of their platforms. Um, I guess it's better to have things unified. Yeah, I agree. This was a, a good platform, though. I mean, Bastion was a visually appealing game, and it ran quite well, but... Oh, yeah. And Fez, Fez did very well, and that one's actually, I believe, coming to PC pretty soon, because uh, it launched on Xbox. Okay, um... Ian, I have to get a drink while you read the next headline. I'll be right back. Yep, sure thing. So, Jeremy Sewell, who is the uh, composer for the Elder Scrolls games, uh, and both Guild Wars games as well, wants you to put, or wants you to help him put on a concert for the music from Morrowind, Oblivion, and Skyrim. Uh, so you can head on over to his official Facebook page and uh, hit like on that post so that, uh, you know, he, it'll help the powers that be to be convinced that this concert is a good idea. Yeah, video game music is always um, interesting. There's video games, I can't remember what it's called, but my brother went to a concert that was like a video game music live, and mm-hmm. it featured, from beyond just Nintendo, I know it featured some from Sega, and I'm sure it featured some from more modern series, uh, but I do know that it featured a lot of music from Zelda and Mario done live, and very, very well done, fantastic. I think so, I've seen, yeah, the album of that available online. Mm-hmm. I'm always a fan of this kind of thing, and uh, I hope that it can catch on, and they can do it, get it out there, get more publicity, and then maybe we'll get more concerts doing video game music. Okay. Um, in our next headline, the Kickstarter for Play Jam's Game Stick is over now, and it got almost uh, $650,000, just about 2000 short, in pledges. 
they met all of their stretch goals, which means you're going to get the best product possible. It will be coming out in April for $79 for non-backers. Uh, for those who don't know, we talked about it before. The Game Stick is a, a similar concept to the Ouya in that it's some, uh, an Android-based device that is specifically for games, hooks up to your TV, and is made to be affordable, as affordable as possible. So not long ago, uh, Double Fine held uh, their annual Amnesia Fortnite, and that's when they split their development team into groups of like four or five people, and they just spend two weeks putting together game prototypes. You know, they get to work on whatever they want to work on, come up with, you know, whatever crazy ideas that they have, and uh, on their website, you can now actually buy a package of those prototypes that were made during this year's Fortnite, um, and it also comes with the soundtrack and a couple of prototypes from previous years. Uh, and if you just want all of those things, you know, digitally, it's ten dollars. And then if you want like physical copies with, you know, the discs and and signed covers and stuff like that, then you know you can pay more to get those things. But yeah, well, that's uh, that's again a good deal. I would think anyone at all interested in those um, in that developer. Might mm-hmm. be interested in seeing uh, what they put up, but that sounds like a really nice idea to put up the prototypes like that. It's a good way to encourage creativity among your devs because they oh, yeah. do things that they never would have done otherwise. They'll be like, well, you know, we've never tried a game with this concept, be it a software concept or just an idea. And so, uh, actually, one of, one of the one of the prototypes from previous years that actually became a game was uh, Costume Quest. Oh, okay. Um, which is a, a cute little game where you know you you are playing as a boy and girl. During you know who are dressed up for Halloween and then I believe you like somehow go into this other world where you become whatever you're dressed oh, up yeah. as. Yeah. yeah. So again, that's uh, that's a very unique kind of game that may never have come to exist without this kind of thing. So uh, everyone should buy it. So we encourage more developers to do this. <laughs> uh, Frozen Snap, an indie simultaneous turn-based strategy game, originally released on PC, is coming to the PlayStation 3 and Vita. It's getting console makeover by the developer, Double Eleven, and it will release sometime this year. Um, did you ever play that game, Ian? Oh, yeah. I, I own that game. Um, I enjoy it quite a lot. Me or not? What? Did you show me that one with the it's, little soldiers running around corners and stuff? Yeah, it's the one that's really blue. Yes, I think you showed me. Yep, yep. Um, I enjoy that, and it's really nice that it, you know, can run on pretty much any computer that you possibly could, you know, install it on. <laughs> and, um... I. I would love to play it more, but it's much more interesting with people. You know, it's yeah, yeah. the 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 single player campaign isn't really appealing to me. Um, and unfortunately, you know, none of my friends really play that game. So well, maybe I'll have to pick it up sometime. How much? Is there it? you go. Uh, it comes in a two pack, and I believe the two pack is like twenty five dollars. Well, that's not bad. I've got a friend who I could buy it for too, and he'd be tickled to have it. So there you go. We have a little play base going on now. Bada bing, bada boom. Start a clan. <laughs> maybe this will bring. You know what I'm calling it. This is the savior of the Vita. <laughs> Frozen Snap is going to push millions of Vitas off the shelves. The uh, the indie game that uh, saved a console. <laughs> Ooh, we could. That sounds like a movie. You know, like a cute little children's movie about you know the toy that saved Christmas. Oh, we could definitely do like a little presentation with acted roles and a written out script of talking about how this game is going to save it and everything. And new developers jumping off the Vita. There you go. Nice. So, L.A. Noir uh, used some pretty sophisticated motion-capturing technology to animate the characters' faces. And, uh, you know, of course, actors make mistakes once in a while. So, Depth Analysis, which is the company that was behind that technology, has released an in-game gag reel of a few of those uh, screw-ups. And it's, it's pretty funny, and <laughs> sometimes it's a little bit creepy, 
um, you know, seeing seeing these these in-game characters go blah blah blah, you know, because they're the actor is you know trying to stretch out their face, you know, to get relaxed again. And <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's uh, that's good. Give us all inside my technology to be used to make our games, and it's funny. So yeah. I kind of, I kind of wish that they had like, you know, released that with the game, like, oh, yeah, you know, of as like a, a little uh, Easter egg somewhere, right? A gag, yeah. Find uh, the reels for Easter eggs throughout the game. That that would be fun for the gags. Uh, uh, this show eight bit has talked about Death Inc. during episode nineteen, and it's now on Kickstarter. The developers are asking for uh, three hundred thousand euros, which is about um, four thousand seven hundred fifty, four hundred seventy-five thousand uh, U.S. dollars to make it happen. Yeah, I I was pretty interested in Death Inc. It looks pretty cute. Um, so it's a, it's another you know unique idea because you're playing as uh, as Death and you or you're playing as as this Grim Reaper and uh, you know you're you're trying to do a startup company where your your business is Death and so you're trying to you know come up with creative sure, ways sure. to kill people with the plague and stuff like that. But it you know so it's really morbid, but it's really really cute. Yep. Um, <laughs> as for the budget, that's. Uh... For a game that's a small budget in general, oh, yeah. uh, many, many games are made with budgets of $10 million or $20 million. Some cost more, I believe. Um, but for an, a Kickstarter, that's a lot to ask, so it, it's going to be a struggle to get that much. <laughs> it's a lot less than Tim Schafer got, though. <laughs> <laughs> How much was that? Oh, that was, at the time, that was the biggest Kickstarter that had ever been done, and I think it was like a couple million. Oh, jeez, yeah, I remember he got a lot of flack for that. But, well, and, and you know that's that's kind of what started the oh my gosh, games can be on Kickstarter and like do really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so yeah, uh, hopefully this game gets it to bring more new ideas. I guess people vote with their wallets, and this is one of the most direct ways we can see that. Oh yeah. So can you imagine uh, playing Assassin's Creed with a co-op partner? It'd be interesting. It would be interesting. Um, apparently, that was originally going to be a central component of of the game. Um, but then, you know, when they came up with the Desmond Miles kind of meta story, um, co-op didn't really fit in with that, and they were also having a few technological problems, you know, right. trying to get it to work. So they just abandoned co-op completely. Um, but Assassin's Creed would have been a very different franchise if they had done that from the right. get-go. Um, I could see co-op missions would be fantastic, interesting. The simplest idea. I'd distract the guy you sneak in and kill the guy behind him. Oh, yeah. Um, but from there, it could get far more complicated, especially, depends on how far Ubisoft went, but if you went as far as to have things like you jump up on my shoulders and climb up there, I can pull you up <laughs> here, you could very much get some very mm. unique ways to play there, some experiences that no other game will offer, and Ubisoft is the kind of outburn you'd expect to get that kind of quality from. Yeah, they would have. They probably would have been able to make the climbing a lot more kind of challenging than mm-hmm. with single players if they had, if they had done something like that, where... You you help your buddy to climb, and then they help you to climb. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. I believe they've talked about incorporating co-op in future games, haven't they? I'm not sure. I okay. I, I as a secondary mod, I mean a multiplayer mod. Mm. Not, but, um, but yeah, an interesting little video game trivia there. Okay, so talking about another developer whose quality apparently wasn't enough to save them, um, Vigil. They were the developers of Darksiders. Was never bid more on uh, THQ's auctions and has been sold. 
Uh, don't worry though, almost all their former employees have been hired by Crytek to form Crytek USA. Uh, they can work on what they want, but Crytek has no plans to buy right to the Darksider series. Um, I do know a little bit more about the Darksider series. Platinum Games is a studio who, I don't know if they're owned by Sega or they work closely with them. They're developers of Bayonetta, they're currently developing Bayonetta 2 and the 14101 for the Wii mm-hmm. um, They have expressed, I believe, an interest in Darksiders. I thought they had one in Vigil, but maybe it's just Darksiders, if they can get it for a cheap price. Um, but we're glad to hear that the employees from Vigil were able to get uh, jobs working for Crytek. Oh, yeah. It's a shame. Uh, I never played Darksiders, but I might someday. And uh, I believe it was a pretty well-reviewed franchise. Uh, Zelda Jr. is what I heard some people call it. If, if you're wondering about um, you know the Darksiders games, just ask Ian, Ian Decker. He, uh, he played them both. He really enjoyed number one. Um, I think number two he enjoyed somewhat less, but he still told me to get it when it was uh, on sale for $17. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, I know that Dark Souls 2 was ported over to the Wii U, and I've heard everyone who's played it, I've only heard good, good things about it. Not a lot of people played it on the Wii U, but everyone who's played it has said good things about it. Yep. So, here, here is the big headline for this week. This is it. The Witcher 3 has been revealed. So, it's going to be the first game in the series that will have a fully open world, and it's going to be releasing sometime in 2014 on the PC and, you know, whatever next-generation consoles are out by that time. Okay, so uh, tell me your thoughts on that, Ian. Um, what, what did you think of the original two? Well, I haven't played the original two yet. They're on my list. You're but I've heard that still includes games like Arkham Asylum from 2009? <laughs> yeah. Right, actually, right now, my uh, the the order that I'm going in on my ba- backlog is kind of determined by what's coming out soon, you know. Oh, okay. So, like over the winter break, I I uh, I played through um, Bioshock Two so that I would be ready to play Bioshock Infinite, you know, when that comes out this. Yep, yep. Um, I played through Crisis, and I was going to be playing through Crisis Two like this next week. Uh, so that I'd be able to f- available for Crisis Three when that comes out. But since I have no money, it looks like that doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> well, there you go. Um, yeah, it's a fairly big franchise that I don't know much of anything about, but uh, we'll see. Uh, we don't have much information at this point. I know that. So as more comes, you can expect Eightbit to be the first source that you'll hear it from if <laughs> you are still listening. Uh, all right. And next we've got last year Notch said that it would help fund Psychonauts 2 for Tim Schafer, but they've gone back on that. Uh, Double Fire's kind of trying making their Kickstarter game, and for another reason, it would take quite a bit more money than Notch originally thought, so Psychonauts is, at this time, being dropped from most projects. Which is too bad. I mean, Psychonauts 1 was uh, a huge, huge, critical, you know, success. Um, I don't think it sold that many uh, units, but... Um, you know, it's got a great cult following, and people were really, really excited when they heard that, uh, you know, this dream team of uh, Tim Schafer and Notch might be getting together to make this game. But uh, I guess well, we'll, just know, have, we'll have to wait more, longer. Yeah, it's worse than if this game had never been teased at to be hyped up for it, and then find it's not coming. It just hurts. Mm-hmm. And uh, then our last uh, article here is uh, about Guild Wars 2 and... You know, Ryan just kind of stuck this in here and told me to read about it, and I have no idea what it is. It's Flame and Frost, The Gathering Storm, so it sounds like they're doing some big new story thing in Guild Wars 2. Uh, Go read only, about it if you care. The only thing I know about Guild Wars 2 is that it sells pretty well on PC. It's a popular thing. Uh, it, it, it hasn't sold very well on uh, any of the other consoles, you know. Okay. You know. Yep. 
Well, we do actually have a little bit more for you, folks. I know, right? Well, oh, man. They get to listen to us talk for forever. Yeah. Um, now, originally, I was slated to be here last week. However, I got struck with an illness, and I had some trouble sleeping. Uh, that's all been resolved now. Maybe Death your... Incorporated visited your house. <laughs> Thank you all for your concerns about my health. I know that you guys just love it when I guest star. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about some information from Nintendo that has came back then and has come over this last week. And it's a good mix of information on sales, a little about the Wii U's power, a little bit about what games are coming, a little bit about what aren't. Um, if you look at our main topic in the episode 22 show notes, you can see the Nintendo Direct. I would recommend that people watch it. It starts out slow like Nintendo's normally do, and it just builds and builds and builds. We're going to spoil so it. So does, does that uh, reflect, you know, Nintendo's sales, uh, you know? Um, no, Nintendo's sales usually do the opposite. Oh, okay. Nintendo's sales start out sky high and then go down. The Wii sold out until late 2007. The GameCube had great early launch sales, and by the end it was outsold by even the Xbox. Um, uh, the Wii U, in its short lifetime, I'll get a little bit more into its sales later, but it sold right. fantastically in the first six weeks, and these last two, this last month has been pretty rough on it. But anyway, uh, I suppose the first thing to talk about, high points from the video. I put this at the top because that's what I want. Yarn Yoshi, or Yoshi's Epic Yarn. It's a Yoshi game from the star of Kirby's Epic Yarn. And, uh, the article well, I like has a few pictures from it. It looks fantastic. The lighting looks great. It's my kind of game. We're not sure what it will be yet, and we don't know too many details. Um, the man who made Yoshi's Island, which is uh, considered to be a fantastic 2D platform, it's one of my favorite. Some people say it's the best ever in 2D platform, or at least the best of its time. He has, he also was buying Yoshi's story for Nintendo 64, which was a big game. He is directing it and has a big role in it. And the original studio made Kirby's Epic Yarn is working here. Kirby's Epic Yarn was the best-selling Kirby game of all time, I believe, so I know it was popular. I don't know oh, much yeah. more than that. Oh, yeah, and it got really good reviews. Yep, I don't know much more than that. Um, I'm super excited for this game. When I heard this came out, honestly, I would have bought a Wii U if I didn't have one to play this game. I love the original Kirby's Epic Yarn. My brother loved Kirby's Epic Yarn. Um, it'll be very interesting to see what they can do with it. And the art style looks great. The graphics look great. It's not going to be, of course, any photorealistic thing, but it will look beautiful well, of course for what not. it is. I mean, the closest that Nintendo's gotten to trying to do photorealistic was uh, Skyward Sword, really. Twilight Princess was actually more photorealistic. Okay. Um, it was still very, very stylized. Very stylized, I would say. But Nintendo just generally doesn't care about the photorealistic. And none of their fans are asking for it. I guess maybe a Metroid game might have been pretty uh, photorealistic. I don't know that one. Oh, yeah, well... But being photorealistic in a sci-fi game is a little bit different than being photorealistic in a in a fantasy game, you know. Because uh, in in uh, you know in a sci-fi game, you just kind of stick a few uh, virtual LEDs on it, and there yep. you go. It looks cool. Yeah, but yeah, this is the first home system Yoshi game since Nintendo sixty four, and I'm really excited for it. We don't know when it will drop, but the latest rumors seem to say twenty thirteen sometime, which. I would bet it will be a holiday 2013 title a little bit before then, but don't quote me on that. I'm not positive that. Uh, Ian, do you want to switch off or do you just want me to read um, Sure. Else? I mean, I, I haven't really been paying that much attention to Nintendo stuff. So. That's what I'm here for. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so a new Monolift soft game for the Wii. Wait, did we talk about this or... No, this is the one that we're on, yeah. So a new Monolift soft game for the Wii U is in the works. It's called X, or Xenoblade 2 by fans, and 
allegedly it looks fantastic. <laughs> so this is uh, might be the first game that will show us how what the Wii U is truly capable of. Yeah, um, we don't I, really have a release date yet. Nope. I would encourage everyone to look at the trailer if you haven't seen it, and you might even want to find time to do that in the background here. <laughs> um, it has enormous creatures. By that I mean um, it's so hard to put them in scale. If you imagine the size of an elephant compared to a human and multiply the gap between elephant by a human by about times two, maybe it's something like that. That's a dinosaur. Those are fully interactive. They reach you from that far away. They're not just show pieces. The draw distance is really good. The lighting is really good. The frame rate Xenoblade, looks really good. Xenoblade is the is that game with the guy with the giant lightsaber sword thing, right? Yep. Xenoblade yeah. was a game on the Wii that probably looked better than a lot of PlayStation 3 and 360 games, just in terms of appeal to the eye. No, it wasn't HD, it was 480p, but it had a good draw distance, great frames per second. Um, it pushed the hardware better. Of course, the best-looking games on those systems would probably look better, but in terms of how it looks to the eye, for example, I felt it looked better than Borderlands 2 on the PlayStation 3, just in how my eye felt about it. Um, and X seems to be pushing this... Again, on the Wii U, it's one of the best-looking games and graphics. It's got a huge open world where you can go to anything, not at all linear. Um, we think what we saw was alpha footage or early beta footage. We don't know. But this game, it also has no online component. We know that. The original Xenoblade did not. On the Wii, very few games did. And uh, it looks like a very working online component. Um, this game has got a lot of people excited, and I think this one could really boost the system. People question does the Wii U have games for people who like tough, serious, gritty, long-term games? Yes, it does. It has X. <laughs> um, a game that isn't quite as gritty, but that I'm looking forward to, The Legend of Zelda Wind Waker is getting an HD remake on the Wii U. It's slated for fall 2013. It's not just an up of the resolution. It's uh, fully retextured with new visual effects added, and we've got some gameplay tweaks. We don't know what they are, but there are some. Um... Just to talk about that a moment, uh, the article I linked shows screenshots of The Legend of the Wind Waker running on the Dolphin emulator, which natively renders the games in 1080p and adds anti-aliasing aliasing for, Wii, for Wii and um, GameCube games. The IGN has taken the Dolphin emulator's version of that and compared it to screenshots of Wind Waker HD, and Wind Waker HD looks much, much different and much, much better. Better lighting, better character models. It looks great. Um, that's why I'm playing Ocarina of Time for the 3DS, and because I'm liking it so much. Uh, this is my first time playing through any Zelda games, folks, so this will be the first time I've played through Ocarina <laughs> Whoa, of Time. Oh, wait, really? Yep, I never played any. My brother did. Wow! He's played virtually all of them, several times, usually. And You, you know what's funny is, uh, over winter break, uh, I was with my sister at GameStop, and she's trying to find, you know, a game for, for the Wii that she can buy and, and play, and, and I'm just looking around on the shelf like, oh, he's stupid, you know, little kid Wii game. <laughs> yep. And then I see on the top shelf, you know, there's Skyward Sword and right next to it, um, Twilight Princess. And I'm like, hey, Subashri, have you ever played Legend of Zelda? No? Well, here you go. <laughs> Take this one. So she's been playing through uh, Twilight Princess, which uh, as it, I like to call it, you know, the, the world's best uh, chicken carrying simulator. <laughs> Well, for Zelda games have always been big about the carrying of chicken. Yep. Um, I just have to make the comment. It's funny. You look at the Wii and you say a bunch of kitty games. Yeah, we had like 40 or 50 good games, a lot of them first party, a handful third party, and then it had like 500 crap games. Oh, yeah. And those 500 crap games are the ones that you find on the used shelf at GameStop because, because everyone everybody gets ones. rid of it and nobody <laughs> buys it. Yep, and everyone kept all the good ones. So, yeah, to anyone who does know the Wii, they're cheap now, and it's a good time to pick one up and experience the good exclusives. Just don't go to GameStop to get them work online. <laughs> um, 
We also got information about a new Zelda game being worked on for the Wii U. No, no shadow for the lab. But it has, it's challenging previous ideas. The ones that they mentioned were considering were, why are you playing alone, and do you have to play through dungeons in a linear order? My brother in particular, his favorite Zelda game was for the Super Nintendo, and it was very non-linear, and that just excited him completely. He loved that. So he's really hoping that we get another non-linear one. And playing with friends, uh, Zelda games have only had a very little amount. They've had some, but not a lot, of playing with other people. So I'm excited to see what they could maybe do to change the franchise. I just hope they don't deviate too far. I like, um... I really like games that are technically linear, but they do it in such a way that you never really notice. You know, okay. like, they, they, I really like it when games are good enough at guiding you in the direction that you're supposed to go that you never really notice that you can't go any other okay. way. Now, my brother would like that too, except he plays Zelda games repeatedly. <laughs> so, for him, that wouldn't be good, but I know what you mean. I agree with you on that, but that's easy enough for me that I like it that way too. So there are a few new trailers for Platinum Games that are uh, coming up. The Wonderful 101 and Bayonetta 2. Uh, both of those games are currently Wii U exclusives. And uh, the Wonderful 101 is set to arrive next month, actually, with Bayonetta 2 having a release date uh, later in the year. Uh, good footage for both games. Bayonetta 2 is more of a development trailer than much in-game footage this little bit. Um, Wonderful 101 is very unique. It's hard to say. You control an army of superheroes. And... Um, Ah, I remember hearing about this one, yep. yeah. It looks like a beat-em-up type thing, almost. I know that that's what, uh... I know that's what Bayonetta 2 is. It's a beat-em-up, a sequel to Bayonetta, which was pretty popular. It didn't sell that great. Uh, only a million some units. But it was pretty popular, and it was on the 360 and the PS3. I don't know if it was on here. <laughs> but, yeah, um... The Wonderful 101 looks like a good upcoming game. Uh, in another new game, it's being made by Atlas Corporation. Um, they're a very old Japanese developer who I had never heard of before this. Um, they make the series Shin Megami Tensei, and they have made a ton of games for that. Persona 4 is one of their games, and that game is the PlayStation Vita's best game. It's generally its best credit review, and most people like it. It's a PlayStation 2 port, of course. But um, Atlas is making Shin Megami Tensei X Fire Emblem, which is an Nintendo so franchise. So you say that they're called the Atlas Corporation? Um, they're Atlas... I guess, I don't know if they're Atlas Corporation okay, from because Borderlands. Borderlands has the Atlas Corporation, <laughs> and that's one of the companies that makes the guns. <laughs> <laughs> um, perhaps I mislabored them, but we're going to the Atlas Corporation anytime they're mentioned on this show. Because you said that, and I was like, wait a minute, that sounds really, really <laughs> familiar. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, that's funny. What a coincidence. But yeah, I like Fire Emblem. There's a new game that just came out, Fire Emblem Awakening, that sold 500,000 units in Japan. Whatever game sales, no Fire Emblem game has ever sold 1 million worldwide. This one's got a lot of commercials in the U.S. even. Mm-hmm. So I think it might be the first one to sell it. So Nintendo's really promoting Fire Emblem as one of their big franchises. So I'm excited for this crossover game to see what it will be like. So this, uh, this game might appeal to a different group, but Nintendo has announced a new casual party game. This game, wow, did I just like spit that word out? This game makes uh, unique use of the controllers, and it seems very different than other games like uh, Nintendo Land. Uh, Does it have a name? Right now, Wii U Party. Okay, Wii U Party. Um, What makes it seem different is like a guy uses the game pad to shake it and dice comes out. Or at Mm -hmm. one point, these people are like, they have three Wii remotes down and the game pad, and they're playing like Twister with their hands. You touch this button, and then twist your hand to touch this one. Twist your hand to touch this one. Twist your hand to touch this one. So it's um it's very different. I've never seen anything like it. 
Um, I probably won't pick it up unless I hit my best friends or my mom or something really wants to play with me. But yeah. This is just, uh, we here at 8-Bit are not game elitists. We talk about all kinds of games. Casual, Well, I'll speak for yourself. <laughs> He's a PC gamer, folks, the, so that's the funny thing. <laughs> the funny thing about, you know, the, the concept of behind party games is that, well, first of all, I have to have a party. Mm-hmm. I have to have people over that are going to play with me. And well, you never like, get that. No. <laughs> that's just not going to happen for you. <laughs> Who lives in college, at a college? Mm-hmm. No, the only thing that I do with the people on my floor is I watch Stargate. You know. He hates them. I hope none of them listen to this. Ugh, people are. <laughs> um, well, I don't have a trailer for this one. I'm sorry, everyone. But Nintendo has announced that a new 3D Mario game is coming to the Wii U. Shocker, right? Did anyone see Whoa. That? Playable at E3. That points to a release potentially this year or early next. Um, the hype for this is amazing. Oh, yeah, and you know, when I go to E3 this year, I'm totally going to be going to their booth and playing it. Oh, you're going to E3? <laughs> I thought, oh, man. I was Did, you hear that, Ryan? Did you hear that, Ryan? I managed to troll somebody. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to buy tickets. I'm like, so proud of myself. Oh, my God. I, felt like, I thought it was like fucking Comic-Con. You were going to pay 800 bucks that you were going to make and then go. Oh man! Oh. Usually, usually I'm the victim on this show, but not today. Not today. <laughs> oh God! Well, that's embarrassing. Um, yeah, this is coming. We also have a new Mario Kart slate to be playable in three. So, to anyone who thought that the Wii U didn't have games, well, Nintendo is launching the heavy guns out. In addition to everything I've said with this, excuse me as I go die of shame. <laughs> so, finally. They've revealed that Super Smash Bros. 4 will be shown in trailer form at E3 this year for both the Wii U and the 3DS. Oh, 3DS. So does that mean does that mean that it's going to have a sort of cross-platform play sort of thing? Um, uh, is that is that the idea? The latest we know about it, I'm back from the dead, by the way, is that um, it's... It, I believe, yes, you can like maybe customize characters on the 3DS and take them over to the Wii U to play with them. I don't know if you can like play with people across systems, but I do know that much. Um, I, I know that hopefully, there is definitely some intended crossover. Hopefully, at the very least, when you buy the Wii U version of the game, you get the 3DS version of the game. Um, that with, would be nice. Yeah. I would like that, but again, we've got to see. It might be a completely different game. The right. Wii U is very different than the 3DS. The 3DS doesn't have nearly the amount of buttons that the Wii does to interact. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm not even saying like that they necessarily have to be the same game, but like whatever whatever thing they're putting on the 3DS, I hope that you get that automatically when you get the the full, you know, the Wii U game. Okay, I get what you mean. I get what you mean by that. Um, to anyone who hasn't heard yet, Damco Bandai is helping Nintendo develop this. They have experience with uh, HD graphics and um, fighting games. Everyone should know that. So they're helping Nintendo to make this um, as good as it can be. And yeah, trailers at E3 this year. So Nintendo's press conference is going to be a very, very hot item this E3. I would argue that if Sony really reveals the PlayStation 4 um, at, you know, the 20th, yeah, February and, Microsoft, 20th. Yep, and Microsoft reveals their next Xbox before E3, Nintendo could very well have the show stop at E3 with you know, the others just reveal some details about the systems. The hype has already died a little bit because we know they exist. Mm-hmm. Nintendo hits us with a ton of huge games. I think that could really steal some thunder and get some use. So, great year for me, a big Nintendo fan. Tons and tons of stuff to see. Um, 
And it gets better. Nintendo has said that there might be unannounced first-party games coming yet in 2013. What that could be, cool. I don't know. Um, Retro Studios is a company of Nintendo's. They made the Metroid Prime series and Donkey Kong Country Returns, which have all been very, very well-received games, fantastic critical reviews, um, called some of the greatest of the franchises, some of the best on Nintendo systems. They are some of the top ones I'd recommend to people who are, say, getting away as Metroid Prime Trilogy and uh, Donkey Kong Country Returns. Their game that we know they're working on has not been announced yet, so I'm thinking maybe they have something big that got surprise at E3 that they're hoping to drop on us. But yeah, that, that's good news to hear. And then our last link is uh, Nintendo talking about some sales and stuff, you know. Uh, yeah, Interesting uh, stuff. Wii U sold 3 million units worldwide in the first six weeks. Their original forecast for March was 5.5 million. They've dropped it to 4. Um, no games in January February from Nintendo. Uh, some, uh, just a few from third parties like Rayman Legends at the end of February. A bunch of games are dropping in March. Um, after that, Nintendo has said they'll have better stuff coming. Uh, the 3DS still sells ridiculously well, topping sales charts. Animal Crossing New Leaf has already sold 3 million units in Japan. Um, about 1 in 4 people in Japan who own a 3DS held Animal Crossing New Leaf. That game has yet to launch anywhere else in the world. Okay. Um, it's going to be one of the very best sellers for that system. I think it's possible that it has already outsold the Vita in terms of units sold compared to Animal Crossing <laughs> New Leaf. I don't know that. I hope so. It will eventually. Um, just to give people an idea, Animal Crossing New Leaf has been out for a while. Um, it was on the top for at least a month or longer. Devil May Cry came out and took first place, and Animal Crossing was second off by maybe 10,000 units. A week passed, Devil May Cry sales fell to about a third of what they were expected. Animal Crossing sales stayed the same or increased. So it, it's selling like wildfire over there. <laughs> um, otherwise, no, everyone, Nintendo is not doomed. They're consolidating their hardware and their, their hardware divisions for the Wii U and the 3DS, hardware in general, portable and home. Uh, I don't know. They're doing fine. Uh, fine as anyone can in this economy. So that's it for Nintendo. Yes, it is. Um, so now we have uh, my review of Super Brothers Sword and Sorcery EP. Uh, this is the this is the first game that I get to review on uh, on a mobile device. I'm really excited about this because you know why the heck did I buy my Nexus Seven? <laughs> One of those reasons was so I could experience some uh, you know fun little mobile games that I didn't have access to on my PC. Um, and of course, you know while I was writing this review. I, uh, you know, went and looked up, you know, what the prices were, so I went to their website, and as it turns out, this game is available on Steam. Go figure. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I felt pretty silly for that. Um, yeah, so this game, uh, it's, it's a story-based game, you know, so, um, it's, it's not, it's not like, you know, you're just, you're, you're mindless, uh, I'm just gonna try and go and get as many points as I can kind of game. This, this is more of a, um you know, your traditional single-player kind of uh, game that you would experience on, you know, on a console or on the PC. Um, the uh, the visual style, the visual style is really interesting because it's, it's all, you know, pixelated um, and, you know, kind of 16-bit style. Um, but then there are, certain, there are certain items throughout the world that totally are not pixelated. Oh, are you they know, photorealistic or how do they... Well, they, um, if, like... One of one of the uh, one of the objects is uh, like these the um, these records, you know, the the big black CDs. Um, they show up fairly often in the in the game, and those are just you know these big black circles, and you know, and and it it like it kind of 
really makes you realize that these objects aren't part of the game world normally. You know, they're they're mm-hmm. alien. They're not they're they're not usually found there. And it you know it kind of brings out the idea that something's not right. Um, now that's a very of, interesting way to do that. Of course, the um, the the uh, the records are there because uh, this game is kind of a bit of a uh, a, uh, a musical experiment in its own right. Um, so you know the, the title of the game is Super Brothers Sword and Sorcery EP, and of course EP is a reference to whatever that format of releasing music is. Um, and and yeah, so every every time that I you know see a black record in the game, I I'm you know reminded to kind of pay attention to the sounds that I'm hearing, um, okay. you know, to pay pay attention to to the music, um, and the music is very important in a lot of the uh, in a lot of the puzzles that you find actually, um, and the music changes depending on you know whether you're in the the real world or the dream world or you know kind of what part of the story you're in the the music's okay. different. Um, and it's really interesting. I like the music so much that I went and bought the uh, soundtrack. Um, so that's a plus. Wow, that's that's interesting. Now, um, could you talk a little bit about? Does it use touch controls at all, or does it? Use yes, I mean, obviously it does. But does it just use virtual buttons, or does it use touch controls? In, in it does not way? use virtual buttons, which is really really nice. Okay. Um, so for most of the game, throughout most of the game, you are uh, you have you know your device oriented landscape. And you, uh, so you, you touch and you hold wherever you want to walk in the world, and your character goes there. And it's it's a side-scrolling um, experience. Um, so you can either you can either touch and hold where you want him to go or her to go, and she'll go there, or you can double tap on a spot and she will walk there. Um, and so that's how you explore the world. You know, you you just move through it. Uh, you know, see things. Um, log them away in your mind for later because you, you revisit a lot of areas of the world multiple times. Um, oh, it's, like it's usually slightly different each time, and usually you're looking for a different thing there um, each okay. time. Um, did but you yeah, finish the game? I did finish the game, yes. Um, and so, so when, you're, when you're just kind of exploring and doing most of the puzzles, you have your, your device-oriented landscape. But whenever you encounter an enemy and you need to fight them, you... Go landscape, or you go portrait, you know, mm-hmm. to pull out your sword and your shield, and then the battles are mostly, mostly they are, you know, the type of uh, just wait until your enemy attacks you, tap on the uh, shield to block, and then when they're, you know, off balance or whatever, mm-hmm. hit the sword to, to you know, hit okay. them while they're while they're vulnerable. Did you um, find the combat enjoyable, may I ask, or was it tedious? After um, the combat doesn't actually pop up very much. If it popped up more, I think it would have been tedious, but um, each of the different uh, enemies is slightly different. You know, they use slightly different right. patterns in their attacks, and so you have to learn those. Um, you can, of course, you know, just kind of hold down the shield all the time and wait for them to attack you, but if you do that, they don't go off balance as often. Um the the boss battles, holy crap! The boss battles were so intense. Like, oh, really? Yeah. So, so for example, I'm uh, I'm near the end of like one of the chapters of in, of the game, and I'm just sitting there in the TV lounge, and uh, Katie's sitting there playing Dishonored on the on the PS3 on the TV, you know, and most of the people are watching her play sure, that, sure. and I'm just sitting there on the couch, you know, with 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 my tablet, 
and then I get into this boss battle, and I make a few mistakes at the beginning, and so my health is down, and I can't really afford to, like, get hit again, and so, you know, I'm just desperately trying to hit the shield at the exact right time and everything, and I just end up screaming at my, you know, tablet, YOU CANNOT DEFEAT ME! Ah! You know? <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that I got more than a few weird looks when I did that, but <laughs> I was just so, so into it. You wow, know? that's... that's... Hey, any game that can draw you into it like that, that's oh, man. thats really a big part of gaming in general. I would say that most games try to draw you into it. Uh, my favorite memories of games have always been, whether it's Paper Mario getting drawn into the world, or whether mm-hmm. it's uh, Realm Total War, Commanding Armies. I, I'm right there with you. Getting drawn into it is always about the best, so and that's I'm, great. I'm, really, I'm kind of surprised that I managed to find a game like that on my first try on, on mobile. Okay, now what would you say that, do you remember what that game costed you? Um, I got it, uh, with some, you know, uh, credit card, or I mean, uh, gift card credit. Mm-hmm. Um, right now on, on Android, it is, I think, $3. On, uh, iOS, it's like $5, and then on Steam, it's 8 So I'm not sure why it costs uh, different things on everywhere, but yeah. Um... Could, could you tell us, how many hours of gameplay would you say that game I have absolutely no idea. I always rely on Steam to tell me how many hours I've been in a take game. A, just take a ball shot, round it to the nearest five. Okay, well, each each of the chapters took between probably like half an hour and an hour. So, you know, it was it, the game is built to be able, for you to be able to pick it up, put it down. Um, you know, at the beginning of each one of the chapters, it kind of reminds you about what's going on so that you don't, you know, lose track of what's going on. Um, sure. I'd say probably no more than like five hours of total gameplay in the game. Okay. Um, so it's not, it's not, and there's not really much uh, replay value in it. It's just, you know, you go through the, the story, you experience all of the, um, you know, the, the, the emotions that you're going through when you go through the story. And there, there were a lot of emotions. It was, I, it was a lot more intense that way than I was expecting. Um, and then, you know, you're done. Um, the ending was very, very good. I was, oh man, it was one of those endings where it's like, oh man, do I really have to do this? Do I, oh man, like I don't, okay, yep, I yep, don't want to. Really uh, um, yeah. Would you like to see, let's say it up your wish. Would you like to see the developers try something different or sequel to this game? Um, if they do something, um... I'm not sure because a sequel, a sequel would kind of feel weird because there, there was definitely closure. There was a lot okay, of closure yep. at the end. Um, if they revisit the world, maybe um, in a in a different way with a different character, you know, I that would I would I would definitely buy it. I mean, <laughs> you know, um, I I really liked the way that uh, that it, you know it was a big musical experience, um, you know, and um, I, I hope that they do that again. Um, the the tone of the game the tone of the game was a uh, a little it's a little dis- difficult to describe really um, because at the same time the game is very very um, the game is very very meta and you know it makes references to the fact that you are a player that you're outside of the game world and you are influencing the game world 
but the, and then it also has like a great sense of humor. Uh, you know, the things that they, the things that the characters say to you are very, very frank. And I, I mean, they, they just crack me up. Like, you know, the, this guy, this storyteller who's kind of telling you the story while you're interacting with it. One time he just, he just says to me, you are special. And that is exactly why I love you so much. And I was like, oh, <laughs> thanks. That's very funny. That's, and- uh, <laughs> and you know, like things like uh, after boss battles, you know, they'll say things like, "We got the gold trigon. We are so awesome." <laughs> and I just, I love it. Like, you know, it's, it's so like, I, I, you know, I don't, I normally I wouldn't just go, "Oh man, I beat this thing in a video game. I'm so awesome." But the game told me I'm awesome, so clearly I'm awesome. <laughs> well, there you go. I like it. Uh, it's very, um, yeah. It sounds like a game, just like uh, mm-hmm. a very unique experience. It really but then, draws like, you in with the atmosphere. But then, but then, interspersed with all of this, this great humor and this, you know, the knowledge that you're not part of the game world, it's very, very serious. Like, you know, you're always, you're always, they always make you aware of the fact that the events that are transpiring, like, there's no way that there can be a, a happy ending to it. And so everybody, everybody in the game is really somber, but like at the same time, they're hopeful. And it's, oh, okay. it's really, it's. Oh man, it just it, it oh it got it got under my skin in a really good way. Yeah, I understand what you mean. Um, to be upset by, well, not to get into the whole psychological thing mm-hmm. about it, but I like Law and Order quite a bit, particularly um, Special Victims Unit, and that one deals with material that people may not be comfortable with, uh, mm-hmm. sexually based crimes, and it gets under my skin so much. Sometimes I just feel furious, but I love it, and I keep coming back, and it's really good, and I've had some games do that for me, too. So I definitely understand why you'd like that, and it sounds like a game that could do it in such a, an interesting way, to be so funny and so artsy, I'll call it, and then still grab you and pull you in. That's, that's very rare to see many games do, and in particular, one to do both so well. That's really interesting. Yeah, I... Uh... I don't really have many bad things that I can say about this game. Like I suppose um sometimes the uh the the puzzles that they make you do aren't always clear. Sure, um sure. and but they but they say but they say things to you in the game that are are they're usually really cryptic, but they're usually enough to kind of start you in the right direction. Once you go once you start going in the right direction, it's easy enough to continue that kind of thought process and f- and finally figure out um what to do and even if you haven't figured out what to do okay. usually the puzzles can be solved by well i'm just going to try tapping on every single point on the screen that i can find <laughs> well there you go um i was gonna ask you just a little bit more about it but mm-hmm. i'm not sure if i care what um i suppose another con to it is the short size yeah but, I mean, you get what you pay for three to eight dollars for maybe five hours of entertainment and if if you're the kind of person who plays mobile games, you know, for for the the most replay time to dollar ratio, you should go get Temple Run. Yeah, really. <laughs> and I will forget about you as a person. But if you're the kind of person who, you know, loves your single player, you know, story driven uh game experiences and you want something like that while you're just, you know, on the go on your on your phone, on your tablet, I would highly, highly recommend this. It's really good. Okay. That's um yeah, so it sounds like it I mean it's not say the first um mobile game by any means to have a lot of content to it. There are oh, no. some. But it sounds like it's a solid addition in a gamer's library. Uh, 
problem with mobile gaming in general is there's so many games out there. There is no go-to library. If someone yeah. were to get a PlayStation 3 or a GameCube or a Super Nintendo or an original PlayStation or an Xbox 360, whatever, you can usually get some good lists based on your genre of, you know, well, why don't you go for mm-hmm. these games? If someone gets a PC, again, well, what's your genre? And you can kind of just usually get some lists. But it does not seem, from what I've ever heard, that there's something like that for mobile games. Here's a smorgasbord of decent games. Yeah, and it's pretty hard to find, like, good reviews of... Uh... Of mobile games, like you know, most yeah. most uh, most big gaming review places, Game Informer, PC Gamer, uh, you know, Polygon, IGN, they don't really review that many mobile games. Honestly, um, I find it very hard to find reviews on many of those places for games that aren't AAA titles in mm-hmm. general. Um, and again, specifically Nintendo, I see you know there are very few views of games that aren't the AAA games for Nintendo, the Mario's, the Zelda's, the Star Fox's, Metroid, all those best ones. And I see that for other systems, too, that there's often a lot of games that are just kind of brushed by the wayside, they're focused on the sensational, but you can find them if you look, you can find reviews of those. And for mobile games, I just don't know if some such site exists where you can find uh, consistent, high-quality reviews. Uh, and that's, that's why I'm here, you know? <laughs> yep, Ian Buck. Now you just need to get an iPad and a Windows device, and you probably need to get a Zoom so you can play some of the games that are exclusive. People just need to, you know, keep making games for Android, and then I can uh, then I can review everything. Okay, well, when I tell you about the fact that I'm considering that I might get an iPad sometime in the future, we'll see how you react to that. Well, it's your money. You waste it how you want to. <laughs> That's the kind of reply I'd expect from you. It's funny. With video games, they're so open-minded both ways. There's room for some casual stuff. There's room for serious stuff. There's room for this shot. There's room for that. Lighthearted, mm-hmm. serious, funny. All of it. Technology? No. It's got to be this way. I just I don't <laughs> see why you would go and get this expensive, expensive tablet that where, you know, when you could go get something that's way cheaper and probably, you know, just as good. Well, not to derail the conversation, but I'd just like to ask, ex- compare your Nexus 10 to I'm on the iPad 4, okay? If we were to focus just on, well, if we did not focus on price, for the average consumer, the 99%, what reason would you recommend to get an Android tablet to get the Nexus 10? Again, Let's see, no what, what is What is the price difference, anyway? 100. Okay. Um, well, the, uh, the Nexus 10, um, the Android operating system is way better than iOS. On, for the average consumer? For the Everyman, you think it will make oh, a huge yeah. difference. For the 99%, you think that that operating system will be enough to check oh, your yeah, email, it's, it, to okay. go on the internet, yeah, people, to watch Netflix. People, people, I, people can agree with me on this that you know, 99% of the people are going to uh, care about what it looks like, right? Android, right? Android has come a long, long ways, and it looks beautiful now. And uh, you know, iOS hasn't really changed the way that they look in a very long time, and I think it, it's pretty—it's stagnant. It doesn't look as good as Android okay. does now. So, based on um, aesthetic appeal, based on aste- for, aesthetic appeal for yep. the operating system, not for the operating system. The, yep. The background. The um, the uh, I mean, the hardware. Um, I prefer the not what is it three by four or whatever that ridiculous aspect ratio. Yeah. Four by three. Well, it depends on how you hold it. You know, it could be three by four or four by three, whatever. <laughs> Um, that aspect ratio just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, Even you know, the more viewing area that you get with the iPad. Do you get more, more? Yep, there's more screen area. That's no, that, that that's not how geometry works. 
I'm pretty sure that when I've done comparisons, there's more screen area to a 4.3 display than there is for a... Um, oh, for a okay, right, because if they're the same diagonal. Okay, I see. Yeah, they um, are. So, yes, that uh, geometry works in this case. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Even considering that you get more viewing area, you don't like that as much? No, because, you know, when I'm watching a, a movie or something, you know, I don't want to have this ridiculous letterboxing. I want my 16 by 9 and 16 by 10 is close enough to that that, you know, you don't notice it as much. Um, okay. You know, for... for um, You're dancing all around the one thing that I want to see if you even knew that the Nexus 10 has that the iPad doesn't. I want to let you keep following around and see if you Well, can. I mean, the Nexus 10 has a, a higher resolution than the iPad. Irrelevant for the 99%. Go on. Well, if the 99% are looking at an iPad because it has Retina display, I will tell them, suck it. Because Google's is higher. <laughs> okay, but again, your average person doesn't care. They look at it and they say, it looks good enough. The iPad 2 looks good enough for most people, I think. Yeah. Um, what, am, what am I dancing around here? It, it's something so obvious. You've been talking about consuming media, and this is something that everyone would notice and enjoy. It's, it's one of the biggest failings of the iPad. Well, I don't know much about <laughs> What are you talking about? What are you going Speakers. for? Speakers. The iPad has one speaker oh, okay. on the side. The Nexus 10 has two front-facing speakers. It's got actual stereo. Right. And the normal person will notice the sound difference. They'll hear things more clearly. It will be louder. It's easier to look at with your buddies because you can hold it out there and you can look at it. Sure. So, I mean, that, as far as I can say, that's just the, one of the standard things that I heard that that's got an advantage to it. Although it seems like our local ghost doesn't think that it's a very obvious advantage. I mean, I, did, I, I didn't know that uh, the... Nexus 10 had two front-facing stereo speakers. Well, that's because you don't keep up on the hardware but the way I do. No, and if I'm doing anything on a tablet, I'm probably going to be using my headphones anyway. Okay, I use my uh, devices like my phone while I lie in bed occasionally, or where I'm relaxing, and headphones would not be practical uh, to be comfortable. Yes, they would. <laughs> I mean, when I say headphones, I mean he earbuds. Oh, I despise earbuds. They yeah, destroy well, quality compared to what good speakers do. If you get if you get a decent pair of earbuds, they're pretty nice. So now your Nexus, so, so now your tablet costs seventy nine extra dollars because earbuds. Oh no, I just have like a cheap little ten dollar pair of earbuds because I don't care. Yeah, you don't care. I had a twenty dollar, twenty five dollar pair, and it was okay, but it wasn't phenomenal. Uh, we should do something about gaming on the iPad if I ever get one compared to gaming on a tablet. It wouldn't be fair sure. with yours though because mine would destroy it so much. Well. Especially since it'll be far enough in the future when you get yours that it'll probably be, you know, quite a bit newer than mine. Yeah, that's what I mean. If I get, like, an iPad 5 someday or something. Yeah. So, um... Any other video game related news on your mind to talk about? Um, no, because if, uh, if they had been on my mind, I would have put them in the uh, show notes. Well, perhaps something that we said sparked, I mean, um... Not really. Um, everybody should uh, tune in next, this weekend because uh, I will be reviewing Crisis 1, uh, which I finished yesterday and oh, ha right. haven't had time to write down all of my thoughts on that yet. So. Okay, that's interesting. Reviewing a five-year-old game? Well, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm you got you to gotta play the games when you play the games, you know? Yeah, what you can do is um, uh, review that, then review Crisis 2, hopefully, then review Crisis 3, and maybe do a contrast. Hopefully. Yeah, everybody should, like, pitch in and get me, you know, $60 so that I can play Crisis 3 when it comes out, and I'll review it for you. There you go. <laughs> that's Kickstarter for that's it. How this, <laughs> that's how this podcasting stuff works, right? Yeah, I ask the yeah. viewers for money, and then I, you know... Give them I think my you're thoughts. Have like a wish list from Amazon of stuff you want or something. Oh, but I don't want it from Amazon. 
Well, I don't know. I think eventually you got to take your shirt off. But... Well, that's not hard. <laughs> oh, God, don't, don't. I will now look away from the screen. I cannot see it on my webcam, people. Happy? We, no. Um, which I'm going to get a pair of my shoes for you. Ah, uh, you don't remember that one, sadly. What? We made jokes last year about you being... Oh, my gosh, shoes. My oh, shoes. my gosh, that's right. <laughs> I say this with my mother right here in the room. I hope you realize. <laughs> Mom, they can actually hear you on the mic. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, yeah, that's all I can think of. Yeah. Um, I have nothing else to talk about this time that wouldn't take me too long to get into. Mm-hmm. Um, so I will maybe be back eventually, loyal listener. I assume we have one listener between us. Oh, there's at least one. Yeah, that's who I'm talking to. I'll be back again, loyal listener, hopefully around February 20th, if so as we're talking about, assuming that the kind folks here right, that don't ban me from the show, they could potentially IP ban me from it. We'll call okay. the cyber police. They exist now. I have so many things I have to delete. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, um... So, yep, thanks for listening, everybody. This yeah, is, uh... Take care. Ian Buck, signing off. Senator Ross, signing off.